For the video version of this podcast, please visit our YouTube channel, Daughters of the American Revolution National Headquarters. Otherwise, please enjoy this audio podcast on your favorite streaming service. When you have almost 200,000 good women from diverse backgrounds, CEOs, stay-at-home moms, women of color, indigenous women, young women, old women, literally women from every walk of life that all have our organization in common, we have potential to move mountains. Salutations. I can't say that word without a smile on my face and warmth in my heart for the beloved book, Charlotte's Web. And I can't think of a better word to greet the new year with, so salutations, my friends. I hope you too have a smile on your face as we cheerfully embrace the year before us. There will be challenges, inspiration, and great accomplishments ahead for all of us to share. We want to be able to share all of these with you, so please subscribe and click the notifications bell so that you don't miss an episode. The more of you that subscribe and allow notifications, the more this podcast will then get recommended to like-minded people. And that is indeed a goal for this year, to help this podcast reach an even wider audience. Well, in this upcoming episode, we'll be challenged to have a better relationship with nature and our environment. We'll learn how to participate in the great backyard bird count, and we'll hear all about how some of our states are really promoting an attitude of conservation among their membership. We'll be inspired by our wonderful First Vice President General, Ginny Sebastian Storage. We'll also hear a recap of the Reese Across America event that happened on December 17th of last year. But first... We want to hear from the National Chair of the Conservation Committee, Lynn Stalkop. So sit back, or even better yet, put on your walking shoes and let's make today a great day. Just one of many great days that will make up the new year. Lynn, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you for having me, Brooke. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your committee? I think a lot of members of maybe even the public would be surprised about the Conservation Committee and DAR's involvement. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, uh, the mission of the Conservation Committee is to provide and promote uh, good stewardship practices uh, for a more sustainable future for the environment, not just for us, but for people who come after us. Our committee was formed in 1909. And so I like to look at that and say that our members knew over 100 years ago how important it was going to be to protect our environment. Your committee has conservation awards and chapters and states are able to give these awards out. I'd love to hear more about that. Yes, uh, the conservation awards can be given to a person or a group. Uh, I've had a close to 50 of them now since the right administration began and they, they range uh, a wide variety we have one award that was given to a young man uh, eight ten years old who spends one day a week in his community cleaning up the garbage and recycling and doing that for his neighborhood uh, we we have people who have established and help 
maintain wildlife reserves. We have a lot of people that are working very hard to preserve the Everglades in Florida. So we've had a lot of awards in that regard. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. And what do you think chapters can do with regard to the Conservation Committee? Do you have any ideas for that? Well, there are so many things that you can do to promote conservation. Um, as a chapter, you could you can participate in our chapter challenge, which is to do a community cleanup. Um, you could plant a tree. Um, we have pollinator gardens. And we now, the Conservation Committee, is uh, the home for the Never Forget Gardens. So perhaps you could plant something like that. But you can do other things, too. You can recycle. Um, I've seen here recently where people are collecting Christmas cards that people no longer, you know, they don't want to keep them after Christmas. And people are collecting those. There are organizations that use and collect those. And so that saves them from, from going into a landfill or a recycle. Now, you have a wonderful committee, the Conservation Committee. Yes. Do you have a national vice chair? I do have a national vice chair. It's a new position this year. Uh, this is Tammy Blackburn. She's with the Lone Star Chapter in Texas. And she helps me. Uh, she helps me manage the Facebook group. She helps me to uh, disseminate information to the division chairs. And, you know, just generally assists with ideas. We get a lot of email from members with various ideas of things that, that they would like to see in the committee. And so she helps me sort through those. You have a great website too on our members website um, that has a lot of information. Um, can you just tell us briefly just a couple of things that members might find when they go and look at your committee page on our members only website? Well, first they will find the, the member uh, challenges and the chapter challenges, uh, things that they can do, uh, projects that earn you points. Um, there are also uh, the conservation minutes out there. You know, we encourage our chapters to have a conservation minute at each meeting, or if not, perhaps put it in their newsletter. And there are, there are quite a few of them out there. Uh, there's information about Arbor Day, which we are promoting this year. Um, and there are actually some photos out there too. You can see some of the things that people have done in the last few months. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. And I hope people will go on your webpage and see what there is to do. Maybe even, um, of course, each chapter is encouraged to appoint their own conservation committee chairperson yes. that can really spread light and, and uh, add the sparkle uh, to yes. their own chapters for the right administration and working for conservation. So thank you so much, Lynn, for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. State and chapter societies in DAR around the world have continually prioritized protection and conservation of our natural environment. As you heard from Conservation Chair Lynn Stalkop, we've recognized this need since 1909. According to the USDA, three-fourths of the world's flowering plants and approximately 35% of the world's crops depend on animal pollinators to reproduce.
honeybees alone populate approximately $15 billion worth of crops in the U.S. each year. Loss of native habitat and widespread use of pesticides has dwindled pollinator populations. In response, New Mexico State Regent Patricia French Barger has made one of her projects as State Regent the setup and installation of pollinator hotels. With the help of Doña Ana Chapter Regent Linda Bartlett, five sites around the state were selected for placement. They placed several small hotels at the Farm and Ranch Heritage Museum in Los Cruces in September of 2022, and they already show activity. And over in California, nearly 85% of wildland fires are caused by humans, this according to the National Park Service. As brush replaces burned vegetation, tree regrowth is slowed dramatically if it happens at all. Devastation of the forest due to annual wildland fires prompted California State Regent Sharon Moss to adopt the Penny Pines Project as a statewide conservation project during her administration. Chapters are encouraged to sponsor forest regrowth through California, one acre at a time. Find out more about what your state regents are doing to preserve our environments. To help support either of these projects or to get more information, please visit the New Mexico State website at nmsodar.org or the California website at californiadar.org. On February 17th through the 20th, the world will come together to take part in the Great Backyard Bird Count. This is a fun, easy, and free event that all bird watchers and admirers of all abilities can participate in. Each checklist submitted aids researchers at the National Audubon Society, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and Birds Canada to learn more about how birds are doing Bird populations are always shifting and changing and are often a harbinger of environmental changes. So how do you participate? First, go to birdcount.org. Once on the website, you'll be able to find links to be able to participate on your mobile phone, computer, or even print out lists of birds in your area. There are free bird identification apps that you can download too. So gather up the kids, the grandkids, neighbors, look around you, and count your beautiful, glorious feathered friends. What a wonderful way to spend a part of your day. And for you night owls, you can always go outside and count owls too. <laughs> what a hoot. The Patriot Profile segment is dedicated to all patriots, known and unknown, that helped our country gain its independence. We offer to you a parade of exemplary lives. May their selfless acts of patriotism inspire each of us, as well as the generations to come.
This Patriot Profile is a woman who shows us that to stand at the head of a family is no meager enterprise. She's both resourceful and cunning. Her letters and legacy are invaluable resources for understanding the daily lives of the colonial elite. And here is her story. Born in 1724 to a prominent New York family, Margaret Beekman was destined to marry well, and at the age of 18, she fulfilled this destiny by marrying Judge Robert Livingston. Many marriages of prominent families of the time were strategic, based upon a desire to preserve or enhance wealth, property, and reputation. Margaret and Robert's marriage on the surface certainly seemed to fit that mold. Margaret's dowry was a sizable 240,000 acres, and Robert was her second cousin, and inarguably, the marriage created a dynasty that would influence American politics from the very foundation of the new republic. The Livingston legacy and longevity was aided by the fact that the marriage produced 11 children. Although this bond may have begun as a business arrangement, Robert and Margaret's letters demonstrate genuine love and affection. In 1755, Robert, in a letter to Margaret, wrote, and I quote, You are the cordial droplet which heaven has graciously thought fit to sweeten my cup. What a wonderful sentiment. Their marital bliss was cut short, however, when in 1775, the day after their 33rd wedding anniversary, Robert died. Further tragedy befell Margaret. Within a span of seven months, she would mourn her father, husband, and father-in-law. As a result, Margaret found herself faced with some daunting tasks. Rather than remarry, she instead chose to manage the enormous family estate, holdings, and businesses on her own. Her letters and tenant books are testament to the prowess of Margaret and her business skills. A further test of her fortitude would come during the Revolutionary War. Upon receiving warning that many prominent estates supportive to the Patriot cause were to be burned by the British, Margaret gathered up some sentimental items, including the wedding portraits of her and Robert, and fled to Connecticut. The house was burned to the ground. Margaret returned with the intention of rebuilding as quickly as possible. However, labor was in short supply. Margaret petitioned, cajoled, and coerced General George Clinton to excuse her workers from military service in order to reconstruct her home. He felt obligated to help as she was the one who had recommended him to be nominated governor of New York. The home was rebuilt in time to host George and Martha Washington in 1782. Margaret's famous muffins were served, and these were no ordinary muffins. They were to be, and I quote, cut out with the top of a wine glass and nothing but silver and glass must touch them in the making. <laughs> the visit was deemed a success with Margaret writing to her son that Mrs. Washington seemed pleased. The histories of most 18th century women are typically lost or untold, and Margaret's history may well have followed suit if her situation had been different. Margaret is the rare example of a woman unwilling to settle for the norms of her time. But one thing we should mention here, Margaret's mother-in-law, with whom she spent a considerable amount of time, was considered one of the foremost businesswomen in America. I think it would be fascinating to do a story about her one of these days. And remember that dynasty we mentioned? Well, Robert Livingston, the firstborn son, 
administered the presidential oath of office to George Washington. Wow, right? He also served as a member of the Continental Congress and specifically the committee to draft the Declaration of Independence. He also negotiated the Louisiana Purchase while serving as ambassador to France. The list of family achievements and contributions is varied and long. And sitting at the head of this illustrious family was a woman, an amazing woman, Margaret Beekman Livingston. I recently got to take a few moments to talk with our first Vice President General, Ginny Sebastian Storage. I think you'll find her to be as much of a delight as I did, and I'm always so impressed to learn the background and the histories of these women who serve at the national level of our society. Well, thank you so much, Mrs. Storage, for being with us today. Absolutely, Brooke. Thanks for having me. And you can call me Jenny. Um, it's certainly appropriate to do that in casual settings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. I would love it if you would tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So I was born in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and I grew up here and went to school here. Um, went to the University of Virginia for my undergraduate degree and then got my master's in business administration from Averett University in Danville, Virginia. So I really am a Virginian through and through. And um, for um, almost 25 years, I worked for financial institutions. And about seven years ago, I made a career change. And now I am a practice administrator of a large cancer center here in Fredericksburg. And um, I married my husband, Mark, 31 years ago. And we have one daughter, Mackie, who is also a DAR member. And she is a first year law student at West Virginia University. How many years have you been a part of DAR and what was it originally that got you interested in joining? So I joined DAR in February of 1984. So almost 39 years come this February. Uh, I actually was a children of the American Revolution member and um, my girlfriend, Cindy Steinbach, I can remember this day like it was yesterday. We were sitting in algebra class and she said, hey, do you want to go to a meeting? And I was like, sure, why not? I'm never one to turn away a meeting. So that started it. And um, of course, I grew up during the time of the bicentennial, the nation's bicentennial. And, you know, that time instilled in me a great love of patriotism and history and everything that CAR and DAR embodies. So as a CAR member, when it came time to join the DAR member, my godmother was in the local chapter and she basically did my papers and put me in. And I have enjoyed my time in DAR ever since then. What drives you to volunteer your time this way? I know a lot of our members also have careers and jobs that take a lot of their time. So what prompts you to volunteer this way? Well, I love what DAR stands for. And yes, I do have a full-time job. And the whole time I've been in DAR, I've had a full-time job. And I think that speaks to um, our younger women, our older women who are working women. And um, I hope it lets them understand that DAR is accessible to all, all walks of life. 
but at its core, DAR is an organization founded in service, and service means so much to me. And the three pillars of DAR, historic preservation, education, and patriotism, allow anyone within the organization to pursue service that they can relate to. So we have almost 190,000 diverse women in our organization all over the world. And they're working toward those objectives of historic preservation, education, and patriotism. And as we approach the nation's 250th anniversary of the founding of our country, it's so very important that DAR keeps working in our communities to meet our goals and promote those pillars. And you serve, of course, as we mentioned, as first vice president general. And maybe people don't know what is the role of that position, the first vice president general? So the first vice president general has several roles. Primarily, um, I'm responsible for the human resources function of the National Society. Of course, we have paid staff. We have a paid human resources director, but um, I uh, liaise with her in making sure that our most important uh, asset, our group of employees that run our organization on the staff level, have the best benefits, the best compensation, the best education and best training that they can possibly get to um, meet the needs of our organization and our members. So that is a big part of the, the job. Uh, I also serve in um, the place of the president general when called upon to do so, or when the need arises if she is not able to, to do so. Um, it's important to me, though, to know that at all times she knows that I support her and I try to make her life and her job a little bit easier in whatever she does. So I find that to be a very um, important part of my role. And then finally, a big portion that is um, more hands-on is the editing of the DAR handbook. And that is done... Um, and printed once in administration, but it's updated every time we have an executive committee meeting with motions being passed. And speaking of supporting our president general, I think you've known each other for quite some time, haven't you? So yes, Pamela and I have known each other since April of 2001. And we actually were both members of the Outstanding Junior Club and we met washing dishes after an outstanding junior club banquet at Congress. Um, it was funny, at the time I had been asked to be the national chair of junior membership committee under the Watkins administration. And she had been asked to be the national vice chair under the committee for the outstanding junior contest. And each one of us knew that the other had been asked, but we didn't feel like it was appropriate to talk about it at that time. So we didn't say a word about it. But um, I was fortunate um, to work with her, with that committee. And then she followed me as national chair and we have been working together in a variety of different jobs ever since. So it's been a wonderful opportunity to get to know her and we truly have become real friends throughout the whole process. It's been neat just to see from my end. Um, I can see how well you work together and how well that you, know, you support one another in in all that you do in DAR. With regard to the six points um, with that the Wright administration has uh, as their goals, what do you find out of those the most compelling? Is there more than one? 
I feel very driven by all six goals of the Wright administration. And of course our theme, celebrate stars and stripes forever, rejoice in our DAR ties of service and friendship. But I think probably what I feel very convicted of within our goals is goal number one, which is celebrating our nation's rich history and diversity of experience upon the threshold of America's 250th anniversary. We all come from different walks of life and we all bring something so unique to what we contribute to our organization. And I think it's critical that we welcome our members as they are with their, um, their backgrounds, with their skills, with their abilities, with their beliefs, with their um, approaches to life. And we welcome them and, and understand that everybody has something different to contribute to our organization. And I think that to me speaks volumes about what our organization is about and how important it is to recognize the diversity we have within our membership. However, as my role of first vice president general dictates, I truly believe goal six is critically important as well. And that's to recognize with appreciation our dedicated National Society staff. And as I said before, I had the joy of overseeing the human resources function at our headquarters. And I can tell you that our 144 staff members work daily to meet the needs of our members and their dedication shines through with their commitment to service of our organization and our membership. So I hope anytime you have an opportunity to interact with one of our staff members, you thank them for their commitment to our membership and our mission. Absolutely. And on a more personal note, um, just so people know a little bit more about you personally, do you have a favorite color perhaps? Well, I do, Brooke. And if <laughs> you've seen my Facebook, you probably already know what it is. It's pink. And um, yes, of course, when I was state regent, my emblem was the pink dogwood. And we had a night that all of the pages dressed in pink. And um, very recently, I did a sparkle luncheon for the right administration executives. And um, the theme was steel magnolias. And it was... Um, blush and bashful at its best, honestly, <laughs> with pink everywhere. So pink is That's my great. favorite color. <laughs> I think we even have a picture of that that we might put on this podcast for those who are looking at the visual version. We've talked in the past about today's DAR. What does tomorrow's DAR look like to you? Well, I truly believe the possibilities are endless for tomorrow's DAR. When you have almost 200,000 good women from diverse backgrounds, CEOs, stay-at-home moms, women of color, indigenous women, young women, old women, literally women from every walk of life that all have our organization in common, we have the potential to move mountains, expand our reach, broaden our service, all the while continuing to promote our objectives of historic preservation, education, and patriotism. Thank you so much, Ginny, for being with us today, for taking the time. I really appreciate it and your, your busy schedule. <laughs> Absolutely insanely busy schedule. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
On December 17, 2022, thousands of daughters and CAR members truly embodied the Wreaths Across America mission of remember, honor, and teach as they participated in wreath-laying ceremonies remembering and honoring our nation's heroes, teaching our younger generations the significance of history, patriotism, and service. This year, over 2 million volunteers, more than a third of them children, placed 2.7 million wreaths on graves at 3,702 locations. At Arlington National Cemetery alone, 257,000 wreaths were placed by 28,000 volunteers. Many of these same volunteers, young and old, will come together again throughout the month of January to participate in Wreaths Out events across the country, assisting in the removal of wreaths from the headstones. They'll attend Wreaths Across America mobile education displays beginning in California on January 16th and begin to prepare for 2023 placement next December 16th. What an amazing and heartfelt way to honor the memory of our servicemen and women. So many daughters and friends stepped up to assemble these wonderful pictures and videos for the visual version of our podcast today. Special thanks go to Debbie Kosis, the National Vice Chair, Reese Across America, State and Chapter Resources, and to Shane Mayberry for his incredible video drone footage, and also to former Marine Gino Giambaluca. Thanks also to Jill Bellinger, Maria Blinn, Sue Fitzpatrick, Trish Gasvoda, Jane Grega, Suzanne Heskey, Allison Holland, Kristen Blackburn Kaufman, Lisa Kenny, Susan Gillette Meir, Lisa Oakley, Billy Spence, Catherine Walker West, and Janet Westbrook. Today we come together to remember our fallen heroes and honor those who have served and defended this great nation. I am humbled to stand here with you to pay tribute to the brave men and women who have fought for the freedoms we enjoy in the United States. So many are always so keen to participate in this wonderful event each year. If you haven't been able to be a part of Reese Across America Day, plan on joining us this coming December 16th. We leave you today with this quote by Anne Frank. How wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. Thanks for listening and be well, dear friends. 
Let's celebrate the stars and stripes forever. And remember, with all of your ancestors behind you, you are the result of the love of thousands. This podcast was written and produced by our incredible team of writers and editors, but special gratitude is expressed today to Alicia Segal, Chris Hertzleffler, and Sherry Stein. And we are, as always, so grateful for President General Pamela Rouse-Wright, Historian General Suzanne Heskey for their constant guidance, to Ginny Sebastian Storage, to Lynn Stalkop, Debbie Kosis, Linda Bartlett for being so generous with their time. And recognition goes to California State Regent Sharon Stanford Moss and New Mexico State Regent Patricia French Barger. What inspirational projects they have going on in their states right now. The National Society Daughters of the American Revolution is a nonprofit, nonpolitical, volunteer women's service organization dedicated to promoting patriotism, preserving American history, and securing America's future through better education for children. Members are all lineal descendants of those who supported the cause of independence in the Revolutionary War. For more information, please visit dar.org. This is the DAR Today podcast.